our companies are a reflection of us. Our biggest flaws usually represent the biggest challenges for the business, and our personal strengths are usually the things that help the business thrive. Hello and welcome to the Blinkist Podcast. I'm Caitlin and I am here with Emily. Hi, everybody. Hey, Emily. Nice to have you. Uh, if you've ever read a Blinkist newsletter or reached out to Blinkist at all, you already know Emily. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, and Emily helped us produce this episode today because it centers on the story of someone that she actually knows. Emily, could you tell us a little bit about the background for the story we're about to hear? Sure. So today we are going to hear the story of Lara Wass, who is the creative mastermind CEO behind a jewelry company called WXYZ Jewelry. Mm -hmm. Lara is based in Brooklyn, um, and we spoke to her from our Berlin headquarters. I know Lara, we go way back to middle school, um, but I know her from my life in Philadelphia. And I thought to myself, this is a story I want to know more about. Here's a young woman who has a really interesting background in jewelry manufacturing and production and design. Um, and at the same time, she is running this business um, and she's not even quite 30. So wow. just this question of who is this person? What is her magic mojo? What's the special sauce behind Laura Wass's success? Mm -hmm. um, and to top that off, I know that we're going to hear a lot about balancing um, creativity and running a business. We're going to hear a lot about hustling, about trusting oneself, and about Beyonce. We're going to hear about Beyonce. We're going to hear about Beyonce because Lara's designs have featured prominently in one of her videos. Oh, wow. So when I saw this, I personally kind of flipped out. Wow. Um, and yeah, so I'm excited to share this story today. Wait one second. You said her designs featured prominently in a Beyonce video. Can you tell me really quick, what does her jewelry look like? Okay, so her jewelry, wow. Um, I would describe it first as structural. Mm -hmm. It is modern. Mm -hmm. It is elemental. Mm. The thing about it is that her jewelry is something that I had personally never seen before. And then you so generously reminded me, Caitlin, actually, we had seen it before. And that would be like in a science museum, in the Museum yeah. of Natural History. <laughs> if you were going to gonna go to the gift shop mm -hmm. and buy one of those expandable 3D kind of connects toy figures, that's kind of what her jewelry is like. And of course, if you're curious and having trouble imagining this jewelry, we're happy to link to her site from this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but that's a, an idea about it. Cool. Mm -hmm. All right. So what you're going to hear next is a call between Emily and Laura. And we will be back to talk about some of the things that we hear in between the segments. Um, we split this up today into three parts the three magical ingredients to Laura Wass's success, or what we believe they might be. They are hustle, luck, and trust. So, without any further ado, let's talk about Laura Wass and her hustle. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Hello from Berlin. Hello. So, do you want to just jump in? Yeah, absolutely. You say that a company is a reflection of the entrepreneur in the whole of their being, the good and the bad. Um, let's start with 
yourself, what would you say are your biggest flaws, the struggles that you have from day to day? Um, I think one of my biggest struggles is never being satisfied and never being like never really feeling accomplished and always wanting to push for the next thing and the next scale and the next stage, which I think is a, a curse and a blessing because it's hard to, it, it can make it hard to take what is in front of me and, you know, taking what, what's there and making the most of it, I think is a really important way to live in, I think in life and, and in the business versus, versus like pushing for something, the next stage or the next scale. Yeah. So if we can turn back for a moment to your story, you had mentioned that it was a very conscious move to immerse yourself in the process of not only designing jewelry, but seeing how it is produced. People who want to start a jewelry line are probably a dime a dozen. Do you think that this in-depth knowledge of your industry has set you apart? Is, has that enabled your success? Um, I definitely think that it contributes. Um, I think that it's important. I think that there's so now there's so many people. I mean, okay, from a technical perspective, I think that you can create beautiful things without really understanding how those things are made. I think that people can um, have very limited knowledge and, and create beautiful things. Um, I think from a larger perspective of creating a business, you know, my technical experience also extends beyond just the materials into also getting some perspective on how a small brand runs and functions and how to also manage the design and development process. I, I think it's hard enough to kind of start and run a business and without any perspective on that, just kind of jumping in from school. Like I, I think there's always exceptions to the rule, but I think it's really hard to be successful without some of that perspective. And there's something to be said also for people who just really start from the ground up and build really slowly and build upon their successes to scale into business. And I think that's really admirable. You don't necessarily need these things, but I, I, I think it's really helpful when I talk to people who are, kind of emerging designers, like, I think it's really, in the beginning, it's very easy to be so excited and run off of adrenaline in starting a business without really understanding what goes into doing that. And so I, my advice is that people start as a hobby and build it until the point where it naturally becomes a business or that they get a lot of experience in the industry and start it with significant amount of capital enough to like really, you know, launch and catapult into where you want to be. There's a lot of people who want to start businesses and there's a lot of amazing organizations that want to support those people and help emerging designers, you know, gain traction and be successful. But I think there's too many brands I think there's too many designers and I think that people do this thinking that it's going to be the way to express their creativity. And honestly, it's not really the best 
best way to have an outlet for your creativity. Mm -hmm. What's the best way? I mean, I think the best way is probably either keeping it really divided between work and having a personal practice where you're creating, but you're not necessarily financially dependent upon that, or designing for someone else, another brand whose aesthetic you either identify enough with that it's creatively inspiring or one that is challenging in a way that is exciting. Because when you have a brand, it's kind of this weird thing where I find that the moments of my purest creativity end up, do end up being kind of the biggest commercial successes. But, you know, as we've talked about creativity and being a business person and running a business are very much at odds with each other. And so I think for someone who thinks that launching a brand is the perfect outlet for their creativity and turning it into a job, I, I think a lot of times people will be disappointed with the with the reality of the experience and what it truly demands. Hmm. I wonder if that's something that is unique to your industry. I doubt it. Um, or unique to a certain subset of the population, like our generation, in the sense that you just think that you should already be on top before you put in that time. Yeah. I, I mean, my personal perspective is, I think it's, I think probably both are right. Like, I, I think we're in a moment in time that has really valued creativity and idealized creativity in a way that is kind of idealistic and based on some amazing success stories, but also even idealized narratives of those success stories. I mean, it's interesting kind of seeing this like new perspective of like, okay, maybe having your like creative passion be your job is not all that we expected it would be. Yeah, it puts a lot of pressure on being creatively fulfilled. So I don't know. I think that I think there is there is currently an evolving conversation, and I think that you know this is a, a conversation that I always joke about with my friends who are you know a lot of musicians and artists who are work full time and do their creative passion on the side and are always kind of thinking like, okay, like, how do I get out of my job um, in order to do what I love? Um, And then there's, I have other friends who are, you know, doing what they love full time and are kind of struggling financially and frustrated and, um, and are like, oh, how do I get, you know, a job to like support what I love doing? And so there's, it's kind of like two sides of the same coin that you can kind of flip back and forth between, of course, when you can have your creative passion be the source of a stable and substantial income, then yes, like you've won the lottery. But the reality is that most times there's a lot of other factors that are challenging in that equation. Like I think when it comes to starting a brand, there's definitely at the root of it is that creative inspiration. But most people that I know who've launched brands, like the last thing they do is actually designing. There's maybe one of the first jobs that may even get outsourced within the company is design because it's harder to kind of hand off the entrepreneurial duties of, you know, of kind of overseeing operations. So I think there's more to it than this kind of like easy, the easy cultural discourse of like, 
yeah, like follow your heart and follow your passion and, and everything will work out. You know, it's a little, it's, it's definitely more complicated than that, I think. Welcome back. Um, we just heard a lot about the challenges of running a business and being a creative. Um, I think that this is something that you've written a lot about, Caitlin, for page 19. What are some insights you have about this balance? Yeah, I certainly have. I guess I've I've written more more frequently about um passion versus mastery and whether or not you should follow your passion when you are looking for a job or to create a career path. Um one of the things that that I've seen a lot is um this idea of the passion trap. I think that phrasing comes from this Cal Newport book called So Good They Can't Ignore You actually. Um in that Newport talks about how people have this idea that they need to take whatever their talent or their creative force is and turn that into their not just their life's calling, but also the way that they make money. Um, one of the things that Laura talks about in, in that last snippet is how people are surprised when they get to that point where they're doing their art for their, their job. Um, and it's not all it's cracked up to be. They're not loving it. They don't feel fulfilled. They're not happy. And the endless pursuit of turning your passion and your talent and your art into a job can actually make you a little bit miserable if you're not careful about it. But one of the things I thought was really interesting in what Laura had to say is that she's cultivated something else that Newport talks about called the craftsman's mindset. And she's done this totally, it's not like she thought about it, but when Newport talks about the craftsman's mindset, he means dedicating oneself to um, the process, really, rather than the outcome or um, a certain goal, throwing yourself into the work, not worrying whether you're doing the exact right thing that is um, a channel of your art, but going through the steps, doing the work, enjoying the process, becoming a servant of the work, essentially, and finding joy in that, which seems like uh, like something Laura's done. Yeah. Um, so I think also with Laura, something that has set her apart besides these two things that you mentioned um, is some very visible success in the world. And that would be having her pieces featured in a Beyonce video. When that music video dropped and I saw her stuff in the video, I freaked out. <laughs> um, and was like, how did this happen? Mm -hmm. um, so in the next portion of the interview, when we talk about luck, um, because it seems pretty lucky to me to have your stuff wind up Absolutely. in the Beyonce video, she has won the lottery. Um, yeah, we're going to hear about how that happened. Great. Let's do it. Let's hear about Beyonce. Okay, so let's talk for a minute about Beyonce. Let's do it. How did that happen? Um, so in the kind of fashion industry, there's like this pretty reliable kind of structure of press polls. And, you know, I work with a showroom that essentially houses our collection and samples. And the woman who runs that business is constantly in dialogue with all the different stylists and editors and showing them, you know, the new designs of the brands that she represents. Basically, she is a resource for stylists to pull product and use for photo shoots, for video shoots, um, for sometimes commercial shoots where, you know, a larger brand needs 
to use accessories to style out the images. And I think what I've, what I've tried to do with WXYZ is make things that stand out that can be used as a really fun tool for styling. Um, and that's actually how my collection of hats started was really just saying, okay, I'm going to not necessarily try to make these commercial products, um, but just give my, you know, get, let's give the stylist something fun to work with if they haven't seen before. And, um, and so essentially Beyonce's stylist had pulled products from us a few times. Um, and when a stylist pulls product, it's for a specific, you know, either photo shoot, video event that they have in mind. Um, and what they'll often do is pull a lot of product from a lot of brands. And then on site, you know, they'll kind of decide what direction um, they're going to go in. You know, sometimes the direction is more clear than other times. Um, but they always pull a lot of products to kind of have different options and, and build out the looks. And basically, the story of the visor, um, apparently they had this, you know, one of our pieces, the, the visor crown on set. And apparently for this video that was, you know, for the 7-Eleven video, which is a super playful, fun kind of Beyonce and her dancers in a hotel room hanging out, drinking out of red solo cups. It's like Christmas is coming there. She's doing handstands and cartwheels next to the big Christmas tree in the hotel and just having a good old time with her girls basically and being really silly. And apparently there was one look where they, you know, she was kind of sitting and meditating in the lobby and then twirling around with a selfie stick. And apparently she really wanted to go for a Nefertiti look and the stylist pulled, you know, the visor out and said, okay, this is what we've got. This is, this is the look. And that became, you know, this very iconic, um, shot in her music video. Mm-hmm. And so very much. Yeah. And it's funny because these things like with these types of celebrity placements, I mean, I've gotten to a point where I don't get, I mean, I always still get a bit excited, but I try not to get super excited when I know that a poll has happened because there's so many factors that go into whether a piece is used and whether or not then it's edited into the shoot. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of variables that kind of have to magically come together for something like that to happen. But, yeah, so how did it feel? Like, once you knew, once you saw that video and it was, like, you know, landed on the Internet, I mean, when you woke up the next morning, like, what was going through your mind? Oh, I think what was going through my mind is, like, oh, my God, like, how do we, like, what's going to happen? Like, it was this moment of, like, excitement. And also kind of anticipation, but not knowing exactly for what. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, I don't know, I'd always kind of proclaimed that Beyonce was, like, the most powerful. (laughs) I mean, I joke about it, but I also think it's true. Like, Beyonce is probably the most powerful woman in the United States in many ways. Maybe aside from Kim Kardashian, (laughs) (laughs) Um, for better or worse. Um, So, yeah, it was like, it was a really exciting moment, but also like just kind of this realization of like, oh my God, I don't know what to do now. Like, what do we do? Is there, is there something that we can do to kind of help harness this moment? Do do you mean to leverage it for the company or 
Exactly. Like it's cause that's what's, I mean, and that's of course that thought process of, okay, like this just happened. Like what's next, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm still trying to figure out like if, if I knew then what I know now, like what would we, is there anything we would have done differently? Like what do we want to be ready for in the future? Okay. Um, when, you know, cause 320 million views, I think that video has. Wow. Yeah. And how did that change things for the company? Um, I think it definitely created a shift of just a lot more people knowing who we are. It, I think it kind of helped the brand take on its own life and identity outside of our immediate reach. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest challenge is bridging that gap between the number of people who, in this case, recognize that visor and know who the brand is and where to get that visor mm-hmm. and actually who get, who actually do get it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's like the constant challenge. Okay. So when we spoke last time, um, we talked about the moments that have been formative in terms of your professional development in the last what have you, six, seven years. Um, And one term that came up over and over again was luck. And you would say, you know, that you were lucky. At the same time, you were hustling. I mean, you were really hustling. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about luck and can we talk about hustle? Totally. I mean, honestly, I think the most important part of luck is seeing opportunities and taking them. Cause I think that we're all presented with interesting opportunities that sometimes we can't necessarily see. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think the most crucial part of luck that I'm constantly like struggling with and trying to really crack, crack the code of is recognizing opportunities when they, when they come our way. Sure. And I, and I think inherently like we can't always distinguish between what are real opportunities and what are kind of mirages until we then have the hindsight to understand that distinction. Does this come back to, I would say this almost sounds to me like making a calculated risk if, and, and this would also be informed by the fact that you're not just relying on your creative instincts. You have other considerations in mind. Yes it's really easy to confuse fear and intuition. Like I think that going with what feels right, but also challenging our very natural fear are, they can sometimes be at odds with each other. And so like, for instance, like I can be, I can see like an opportunity that just requires me to go up and and talk to someone and start a conversation. But sometimes I can be shy and that feels like really intimidating. So like kind of breaking through that fear in a way that allows for those opportunities to kind of take hold. Um, I don't know. It's, it's such a, I'm, I'm still like, I'm, it's funny because I feel like there's so much to figure out and then there's like nothing to figure out at all because like you just kind of have to do it. But I do think that like there's, there are like luck is something like getting my first job 
in the industry, it was against all odds that I got that job. It was like a financial crash. I didn't really have any, I had one person who essentially was, um, had relationships within the industry. But aside from that, I didn't really know anyone. And, and I was really lucky that at that moment in time, when I said, Hey, to that person, like, do you know of anything? Or like, you know, even, I mean, I was actually more engaged with that person who was kind of like a mentor for me of like, what do you think? Like, this is, you know, I'm thinking about going into this as a career instead of going into like, you know, international human rights law. Like, what do you think? And with her encouragement, you know, I, that led to the question of like, okay, like, how do I get a job? Like, do you know anyone? And then it just so happened to be that someone that she knew was, you know, who was one of the, I think most at the time, like most successful jewelry designers um, happened to be wanting to hire someone. So like all of those things kind of coming together, it was the intention and the, and the goal and the awareness of, I think just knowing what I wanted, um, but even knowing what I wanted was still like, you know, it was still very kind of a tentative knowledge of that. But those things all conspiring in that moment, I do think is like pretty lucky. All right. Welcome back. Yeah, here we are. We just heard a lot of interesting insights about luck for Laura. Um, and I think that that was such a powerful um, statement that she made at one point where the most important part of luck for her is recognizing it um, mm. and just snatching that when you see it. Right. Um, well, recognizing opportunities, I think, is what she said. Luck for her, she's really humble about it, but luck for her seems to break down into forecasting, essentially, and keeping keeping open and noticing what the opportunities actually look like, which is such a powerful entrepreneur move. Definitely. Um, and I think it's interesting to consider how the hustle that we talked about and luck for Laura are really closely intertwined. Yeah, it's almost impossible to separate them. It's true. Mm. Um, and what was extremely boss to me about this part of the interview was when we heard about um, when the Beyonce video launched, Laura's first reaction was, okay, how do I leverage this for my company? Right. And I just found that to be incredible because um, she's always thinking about the next step, which mm. is something she brought up before right. um, as a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Um, and in this sense, it's just so awesome that she is thinking in that way. Absolutely. Well, she's always thinking about the next step and she's thinking, I think, really critically beyond herself. One of the things that that um, I think Jim Collins says is a good leader always looks outside of him or herself to how to support the goals of the organization, the greater mission. And that's absolutely something that Laura does. She um, she is the brand, but the brand is so much bigger than she is. The first thing she looked at wasn't, how cool does this make me look? It was, how do I make this work for my company, Definitely. for this thing that is beyond myself? And I mean, at one point in our earlier interview together, Laura had brought up this point. She said of her own accord, you know, this wasn't about me when she was building the company. Right. Um, and in order for that to transpire, she also brought up the idea of or mentions having a mentor. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that that is something that you and I have, have talked a lot about um, in her experience. Right. Yeah. How there was this sort of seeming Cinderella moment when her, her mentor said, hey, why don't you launch your own brand? But um, 
she breaks that down as being a lot of luck. But to me, this is also where the hustle shines through. Totally. One of the things about mentors that I think people don't necessarily realize at first when they're, quote, looking for a mentor, is that you have to make yourself attractive as a mentee. And Laura, through her her pure desire to get things done and to explore what's next, really made herself into an amazing young person to to support. And right. She who, has to who be worth wanna... the investment, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think that with her hustle, she proved that. So, yeah, a, a, a mix of a cocktail of luck and hustle seems to be important for Laura. Absolutely. And so the cocktail of luck and hustle, while delicious, is not complete without a twist of one last thing. And I think that this is really the thing that makes Laura a little bit different from from you and me and from maybe some other business owners slash entrepreneurs. Definitely. And I think that this thing that Laura seems to have is an intense trust in herself. Absolutely. Um, it's a confidence that just shines through um, and I think it was sort of hard to pin down, like, what is it that maybe has made her able um, to accomplish so much before she's even 30? Absolutely. Um, it's a great story. And we've heard about luck and hustle. And now we're going to hear more about trust. Yeah. And why Laura believed that no matter what happened, she was never going to fail wasn't an option. Let's hear what she has to say. Can we circle back to this idea of, I think something that has struck me in our conversation so far is a, a certainty that you seem to have about what you want, um, what you're going for, what your vision is. And do you find that being someone who has a decisive outlook on what it is they want, um, has that been instrumental to you and how? Yeah, I think I think that... I am a strong believer that having a clarity and a vision is really fundamental for things happening. I also think that like I kind of go back and forth between having like a really clear set of goals and then also constantly questioning what I really want. So how do you manage that? How do you, how do you manage having the, uh, a set of clear goals and then constantly questioning? Um, I mean, it feels like riding a roller coaster at times, but I, at the same time, um, I think that's what, I think that's what life is about. Like we're constantly going through like different cycles and, and what happens is, you get to maybe where, like you set an intention and then you arrive and accomplish those goals mm -hmm. around that intention and it's kind of time to reconfigure. Um, and a lot of times when you set goals and accomplish them, my experience has been, it's not exactly what you pictured at the beginning. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and then you kind of maybe get more clear on exactly what it is you want for the next step. And then you go from there. So okay. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's all about constant evaluation. And I mean, sometimes it's better not to think too much and to just execute. Um, but I, t I definitely find that I end up doing both a lot where I'm always thinking about, cause there's also, so it's like a tree growing a business. And I think living life is kind of like this tree and there's constant bifurcations. There's, so there's a myriad of choices that can really affect the trajectory 
of things. And so I find that I'm constantly evaluating Mm -hmm. and trying to feel intuitively and analytically like what to pursue and what goals to set and what direction to go and how to evolve because it's, it's constantly, cause it's not just, mm-hmm. it's not just the thing itself. It's like the world around it is constantly changing. So like, in, you know, the industry that we're in is, is evolving significantly. It's evolved tremendously since when I entered. Um, and so trying to anticipate where it's going to go and then how to, how that impacts the business as well. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a life hack or a productivity tip? A life hack. Yes. Um, I think lists are really awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also think, I, I think that my, I think that having a personal practice of some sort Hmm. is really important. Um, and I think that whatever that personal practice is, is really individual and, um, like, I think everyone has one that's, I think everyone needs to find that for themselves, whatever that thing is. Um, but for me, like I actually, one of my life hacks is that by doing yoga in the morning, I actually need about two hours less sleep a night than when I'm not actively doing yoga in the morning. Interesting. I, I, my, my, like person, my internal alarm clock, like completely shifts Hmm. and I've moved from using my alarm to pry myself out of bed to using my, just setting an emergency alarm in case I don't wake up naturally Mm -hmm. to just have like, you know, a backup. And so this has been yoga, yoga has enabled this for you. Yeah. Yeah. And that was actually one of my, like, a couple years ago, I was feeling very frustrated that my morning was such a struggle to get out of bed mm-hmm. and such a struggle to wake up and, and that I was using my snooze button so much. And I basically <laughs> set the intention of, of being able to wake up without an alarm, mm-hmm. um, which I've completely accomplished. It's really cool to look back on that and realize that that, that has been a huge shift in my life. Hmm. Um, and yeah, yoga is definitely the tool that has enabled that. That's a, that's a good hack. Although it's, that sounds more complicated than a hack. That sounds like a, that's a habit. (laughs) That's a habit. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) definitely. Well, listen, this has been a really long and good conversation. Have a great afternoon and thanks again. Um, and we'll, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay. Bye. Okay, and we're back. So yoga was really important for Laura and in her her practice. It is. And I think that you had brought up something earlier, Caitlin, about this idea of a creative anchor. Yeah, there's um there's a book by Jonathan Fields called Uncertainty, in which he talks about the concept of a, a certainty anchor, which is really just any practice that someone incorporates into their day that allows them to have one sure thing that happens, even if the rest of their day is creative chaos. The example that he gives is this woman who's a choreographer, Twyla Tharp. She does the same thing every single day. She gets up at 5.30. She has coffee and a hard-boiled egg. She goes to her studio and practices. She emails friends, and then she meets someone for a coffee later in the afternoon. But she does this every single day so that no matter what else happens, she has this one ritual in place that allows her to... um, let in the chaos that leads to her art and the rest of her world. And it sounds to me like 
that really worked for Laura, too. And yoga was the thing that enabled that for her, her certainty anchor, if you will. It sounds exactly like what she's doing, basically. Yeah. It's yeah. really cool that she's found that for herself. Yeah, it is really neat. Um, and another thing that she brought up in this bit or that struck me was this sense of um, always analyzing and looking in to see what she's doing um, constantly, this sort of assessment of what she's doing at the moment. Um, and you brought up also something about Jim Collins as well with this. Yeah, uh, this was just twanging all these these book suggestions in my head. Jim Collins, who's like the, the granddaddy of leadership and has written a bunch of books. In um, Good to Great, he talks about how uh, you should never really have a plan. Plans lead to failure because you never know what will happen along the way. What you should have instead is a sort of intention, this this ideally what will happen, this thing that you think you want to make happen, um, and move toward it in a way that's more fluid so that you are allowed to adjust as you go on and stay open to different opportunities, which is very much what Laura's story has been about. It's seeing the opportunities in front of her in the now and understanding how they could work for her in the future that she sort of planned for, but not having a stony plan that um, constricts her, just giving herself the freedom to make choices that lead toward that initial intention. Yeah. Well, um, I know that we're both very glad to have brought this story to you guys today. Um, and Lara's more information about her company can be found at wxyzjewelry.com. Yep. And we will put links to that on the uh, the on page 19 for you. Um, thank you, Emily, too, for finding and bringing us this story. And we have one more thing for you, don't we? Hi, I'm Emmeline. I'm product management at Blinkist. And the book I really enjoyed that I read recently was Thinking Fast and Slow. Hi, I'm Thomas. I work in the content team. The last book I read was Iron Kingdom by Christopher Clarke, all about the rise and fall of Prussia. And we're back. Whoa. Whoa, it's Ben. New voice. Hey, Ben. Welcome back. It's been a while. Hi, Caitlin. Hi. I missed um, you, buddy. I, that was really fun watching you and Emily talk. <laughs> <laughs> we audience of one. <laughs> that was nice. No, so... Cool, but you got something for us. You've got, got the book doctor, yeah? I got good stuff. Good, okay. I got good stuff. Leave it to you then. All right, book doctor. We haven't done this in a minute, but but everyone liked it, so we're going to do another one. Definitely. All right. What do you got? This is... Cure the ales. Let's question. do it. <laughs> this is a question from Shantanu, mm-hmm. who wrote in... My question is, I want to learn how to be a great husband and guide my family toward a progressive and overcoming mindset. How do I teach my family about not dwelling on the negatives in the past and focus on growing in general? Mm, good question. Awesome question. Also cool that it wasn't business related. Mm. Like, just a good question. Yeah. And lucky for Shantanu, Book Doctor's got answers. Yes. Book Doctor's got... Always depend on the Book Doctor. Got cures. Got elixirs potions potions all right so all right answer is our parenting category on blinkist is insanely popular for some reason um i think that the main reason is well it was kind of surprising but i think the main reason is every parent feels like they could do a better job than they are doing even though they're probably doing fine Mm -hmm. i mean i think that the book doctor has actually seen this with the book doctor's sister who is often (laughs) afraid of her parenting skills when she's completely fine well, so, it's one of those things you don't get. You don't really get a manual. Nobody teaches you how to be a parent. Your parents don't even know what they're doing. So you look for as many 
books as you possibly can. Totally. So the book doctor here would recommend two books. One is called Scream Free Parenting by Hal Edward Runkel. Mm -hmm. And the second one is called How to Raise an Adult by Julie Lynn Cott Himes. Okay. And one thing both those books share is this idea that we all want to raise these kind of dream children and we want them to be happy and be able to overcome challenges. But the only way to do that is to be the kind of person you want your children to be. Mm. If you want um, your children to be able to overcome challenges and maintain optimism, face difficult situations, you have to show them that. You have to act that yourself. Right. So if you have a tough week, you have to carve out your own playtime instead of overworking yourself to the point of burnout or something. If right. you're, If they're going through... I mean, even if they're going through an angsty, teenager, annoying, pimply phase where everything you say they hate, if you set that example, uh, it will reach them and it will guide them um, toward the happy, satisfied life we all want for our kids. Right. Well, we all worry about becoming our parents anyway, right? So why not try to be a good example totally. that your kid can become in 20 years and go, oh, my God, I'm dressed exactly like my mother, which happens to me frequently. <laughs> Totally. All right. So that's the book doctor. I just totally swooped in here and took Emily's spot for the for the ending of this podcast, which was really cool. We did another really awesome interview and another really cool story. I mean, after Jonah Berger, people were all, how are you going to top that? And we were all, watch us. Absolutely. We're going to bring you a really smashing lady entrepreneur. Right. Here we go. Super cool. Well, then, <laughs> So we hope you like that. Yeah. Um, and write us. Keep writing us. Yeah, please do. We, Ben, you said we need more book doctor questions, right? That'd be cool. We got like a big chunk, um, but it would be nice to have more. It would be nice to have more. And keep in mind that they don't have to be on the topic of business, leadership, management, et cetera. They can be on anything, parenting, nutrition, et cetera, et cetera. You name it, anything in the, the Blinkist library is, is fair game. Any topic, we will find something for you. Right. And then we have to do all the likey stuff. Right. Like us on SoundCloud. Yeah. Subscribe on iTunes. Do that. Leave us a rating on iTunes and a comment. That would be really cool. Yeah, they care about that. Yeah, they uh, do. So do we. I hate to say it, but I kind of do too. Yeah. Write us emails, podcast at Blinkist.com. Mm-hmm. We'll respond. We really like it when you write. Right. And you could also give Emily some, some feedback. Totally. You could let Emily know what a rock star job she did. Yeah. And then I guess we definitely have to say thank you to Odie because we always forget to. And he's a master audio engineer guy who I didn't forget Odie last time. Kind of a magician. So totally. whatever I did. <laughs> and besides that, let's just get out of here. We'll, we'll do another podcast in the next month. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. And talk to you soon. See you. Bye. Cue bye. music. Bye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>